in a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, redoes everything. Sequels, I lost sequels, track of that all there. All the things, yes. All the things, all the redos of stuff that we have come to. It's all a blend at this point. I, I love it when it's like a, it's a Torch Pass movie sequel reboot that they do now, where it's technically a sequel, but it's also brand new. But it's just it, there to make money, yes. Love it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's where everything's got subcategoried so much that they don't even make sense when you try to explain what it is now. It used to be just a remake or a reboot. And then that's it. We got one of the old guys and Timothy Chalamet, and we're calling it a reimagining sequel. Was, was it Legacy? Legacy sequel is the big thing now. Legacy sequel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we see it with the Ghostbusters as a good one. Creed is another one. Oh, a good one was the Matrix. Ben Stiller. Owen Wilson. Um, oh, a Zoolander 2? No, not Zoolander 2, the car one. A Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah. Where at the end, the original guy showed up and sold them the car. Yeah, it's gross. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 20, 21 Jump Street was the same way. Yeah, except like, oh, Jump, we were Street in Jump Street is awesome. Yeah, that was a really fun film. Speaking of a fun film. Now, <laughs> this is a good film, the one that we're talking about this uh, episode, but I wouldn't go so far to say fun. It's hitting a lot of fear points for uh, for men, I guess. If, so if you're, It's definitely a morality tale, kind of. It is a morality. Um, it's a yeah. straight-up morality play, and that's fine. Oh, and by the way, uh, the other gentleman is Mike. I'm Tondi. We love you. Uh, oh, cool, yeah, the intro stuff <laughs> yeah. that we normally do at the beginning. <laughs> Got so excited to just jump in. Yeah. yeah, no, it's... So I love this movie. Like, I hadn't seen it in 20 years, and... I was into it like I was in the movie theater eating popcorn. I was into it. Like I was talking to myself and going, oh no. And I had all the anxiety of a dude watching a dude just do stupid shit, making stupid dude mistakes. Oh, it was awesome. I thought this was a really good movie. I, I didn't remember that it was a really good, like the, I thought the cinematography was good. I thought that the acting was good. The storytelling was interesting. I was all in on this. And I feel they didn't over-explain anything. It was just the information that you needed to get like through that part of the plot. It wasn't trying to over-decorate the movie with a bunch of additional people. or side. I was trying to think of side characters that I would need to cast, possibly, while watching this movie. And there's only four yeah. other people in this movie besides the main people. That's a, it's they a very just, small story. Yeah, absolutely. But that's all it needs to be. It doesn't detract by keeping it small at all. It actually keeps it a much tighter movie. And this is just under two hours. It's not a short movie. It's a standard length. Yeah, it's a full flip. story, but it kept me engaged the entire time. You know what? Big up to Adrian Lynn for doing the same movie over and over again for 40 years and making it <laughs> pretty great every time. The amount of sexy thrillers <laughs> that Michael Douglas has been in <laughs> is just incredible to me. That j there was just a period of time. There's like a 10 year little spot that Michael Douglas was just like 
on screen fucking just calling everyone. people. Like they don't <laughs> do they don't do this kind of movie anymore for probably years. But he is manhandling, just manhandling. What's his co-star's name? Glenn Close. Uh, Glenn Close. He's yeah. manhandling Glenn Close. It is disgusting and awesome. There is a scene where Glenn Close like pulls down her shirt and into the first reveal of her nipple. And I swear in my head, Michael Douglas went, <laughs> as he went and jumped on it. Right. Just ready to roll. Just aggressive fucking in this movie. Yeah. No, it's, it is a sight to behold. Like I said, they don't make movies like this anymore. Uh, sexy thrillers get made sometimes, but as far as like people pawing each other, that doesn't happen like that anymore. No, I think the most recent pawing at each other sex scene that I saw was in Bros. <laughs> oh, did they have something and like that? Something, but it was actually playing at the aggressive sex scenes a bit where they're like shoving their feet in each other's face and not in a sexy <laughs> way, like pressing their head against the wall kind of thing. Very funny. Very funny. I love it. But yeah, one thing I do miss about these sexy thrillers and something that just, like you said, wouldn't play today is that morality aspect of don't cheat on your wife because she might be fucking crazy. And the rule that we learned as teenagers from like our older brothers and older friends is like, uh, there are some things that come with, as they said, and the time sticking your dick in crazy. Yeah. Is that (laughs) you don't know what kind of results may come from that. That was the uh, saying, but as somebody from the restaurant industry... I had to. I couldn't help it. It was part of my lifestyle. Look, everybody at a certain point in their life needs to have a whore phase. <laughs> Male or female, in between, everybody Get needs. I think it's important, absolutely, to really explore what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to handle and what you're not willing to handle. I think that's a super important thing. There's no shame in it whatsoever. I've had my time. My friends have had their time. Good for fucking them. But yeah, occasionally you'll run across somebody that, <laughs> oops. That was a bad idea, and yeah. this is definitely that story. And it's uh, the and you knew better. Like once she started spitting her game, and I was like, "Man, Alex has mad game, but it's a little bit scary." Before they even got into stuff, I was like, "Oh man, this is way aggressive. This might not be a good scene for you, man." No, and it's not going to be a good scene for him. But yeah, <laughs> ooh, when. The moment hits where suddenly, and I think it was very deftly written, the turn in the conversation from it being very light, nobody saying anything flirtation to being overt flirtation, where they discuss basically who's making the call on which way this goes. And Michael Douglas says, that's definitely your call, not mine. I'm like, bitch, you're married. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what do you mean that's her call? She's got nothing to lose in this At that point, I think he was just having fun with it. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to fuck. And she's oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we're we're gonna fuck. And he's like, okay. No, he was playing with it like the night before what you know is gonna be a long day at work and you start playing with the idea of calling out, but you know in your head you're eventually gonna call out. Like you've already <laughs> made that determination in your brain, but you haven't really admitted it to yourself yet. That's the flirtation that he's doing with fucking. Like he knows that's where it's going 100%, but he's like, no, I'm a, I'm a good husband. I wouldn't do that. But what would it be like? He already knows it's happening. <laughs> He already knows it's going on. Even with Glenn Close, is like, I haven't decided yes. Bitch, yes, you have. You have decided. What do you mean, no, I haven't decided? Yeah. Yes, she has decided. That's one of the uh, the th- the old pieces of wisdom, too, is that she knows beforehand, and it's on you to F it up. But in his case, effing it up was actually going and doing the thing. Yep. And I 
was curious to see how it played for me as an adult, the turn from it being this mutual decision to hook up and fool around that was like, he's married, he can't turn into anything, everybody knows, to it being this weird stalker kind of story. And man, for, it didn't age poorly at all. I feel like there was, it felt very genuine. Once you're in it, it's a different story than when you're just yeah hypothetically discussing it. Yeah. So for me, the thing that was striking, because a lot of the movies, very naturalistic, except for Glenn Close seems like a cartoon character. And if I hadn't engaged with people like Glenn Close, I would be like, man, she's playing a cartoon character, but she's playing people that I've met. This is a, perhaps not where it goes, but this is a very understandable relationship situation. Because I've seen it. Yeah, I have too. And yeah, this is definitely a turned up to 11 version. Great. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. It works. It's not like a Fast and Furious movie where nothing makes sense. The human relationships here fit Mm -hmm. the way that they should to make sense. So that being said, let's ruin it. (laughs) Let's take this movie we're we're very happy with that I don't really see any reason. Yeah, because I feel like we can only ruin it. Like the... uh... The genre has been done to death at this point. It was really interesting finding any angle to get a grip on, but yeah, I love this movie enough that I think it stands on its own whether we ruin it or not. This is really one of the top three sexy thrillers, right? Definitely. Basic Instinct, uh, Fatal Attraction, and then maybe, what, nine and a half weeks? Yeah. So my Uh, favorite before this, because I don't watch sexy thrillers all the time, I never did, was Unfaithful, which is also an Adrian Lynn movie from like 2002 mm. or something. It made me have a chub for Diane Lane until now. Even as Ma Ken, I was like... Diane Lane is aging well. Yeah. She's, she's doing a very good job there. And yeah, the sexy thrillers. There was a time in my life that I went through all of them. I Like Jade uh, was watching uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, of course, basically. Like, the Sargasso. I, what was the one? Body Heat? You remember uh-huh. Body Heat? I think... Was that Melanie Griffith? Was was that? I can't remember. But yeah, there was just a series of sexy thrillers. And then that kind of tweaked into it being more of the murdery aspect than the sexy aspect. And that's where you start getting into Seven and Taking Lives and Suspect Zero and all these like gritty crime thrillers. Yeah. I feel are definitely a bastard child of the sexy thriller. Yeah. But, you know, the the sexy thriller was it was cheap to make. So it, it dominated like the 90s it was a sexy thriller mm-hmm. and courtroom dramas and just stuff that you didn't have to spend a whole lot of money on mm-hmm. sets or places that weren't just people's houses or yeah it was a good time in cinema because the focus wasn't on the spectacle you had some interesting scripts and some interesting characters and that's why i'm interested to see what we're exactly going to do with this <laughs> we if you didn't listen to the last episode we have tweaked the format a little bit where instead of four different takes of the movie we're talking about one of us gets the re- reboot or remake version, the thing that we think might actually be the best bet for the film. And one of us gets the remix, remix. version, the wackadoo, weird, fully out-of-the-box take on this. Sometimes those two versions are actually pretty close as far as whether or not we want to see these versions or not, uh-huh. and sometimes they're wildly different. But you get the real take, I, this guy. I got the real take. So I'm interested to see if you're going with that sexy thriller vibe, if you're trying to go more modern take. What are we doing here? So I am going full-on sexy thriller, and with that as a thing, I had to find something to latch onto to make it interesting. 
So something that I noticed in Fatal Instinct, or sorry, Fatal Attraction, haha, is that mm-hmm. they were really casually racist um, a couple times, making fun of uh, Asian people because that's the race that was in the movie. But and then, in addition to that, I watched this other thriller that was from the uh, affair thriller that was from the early seventies called uh, Play Misty for me. Yeah, it had some really. Okay. It wasn't racist at all, but it had some really interesting relations to others in the movie because it was the early seventies. So they were like, "Oh, let's put all these people in the movie," but they weren't people. They were like set dressing. So it had a black person and another black person and a gay person, but they were just so they could have these things in the movie to be like, "Oh, well, America is a melting pot," but they weren't important or really part of the movie or addressed as individual beings of it, they were just people that were set dressing mm-hmm. for the movie so i wanted to address what race relations are like now with the uh, from the point of view of white affluence because those are the people that are in the original movie these affluent white people like living their wonderful lives so i wanted to have these affluent white people living their wonderful lives and i wanted to have race as a component that is not directly addressed, but I wanted to see in real time people basically having microaggressions, basically being casually racist in a way that people do, not like, oh, I hate these people or whatever, just the way people do when they're comfortable and intimate, that kind of Mm -hmm. casual racism. I wanted to see that throughout the movie, but with it never really being directly addressed, just something that hangs over the movie. So in this modern version, this modern take on Fatal Instinct, dang it, on Fatal Attraction. <laughs> <laughs> now, Fatal Instinct is a movie. I know. And if I remember it's, correctly. It's like a parody movie. Isn't, isn't it? that like, a, it's a parody movie. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my director for this version is Michael Moen, who directed The Voyeurs. I don't know if you saw that last year. A really. Oh, Okay, I know what you're talking I hadn't had a chance to see it, but I know what you're talking about. So it is half of a really good movie. If they had stopped okay. at the twist, then it would be a really good movie. But at the twist, there's like a whole half movie left, and it's stupid after that. Oh, no. But it's okay. a sexy thriller, and I enjoyed that first half of it. So that's the director I'm going for there. And for my story, it's mostly the same beats. But we bring in some things that are a little bit different. So instead of Stuart Pankin being the friend, uh, we're bringing in Michael Pena as Jimmy, the Stuart Pankin character. Okay. And okay. as his wife, uh, Hildy, we have Mabel Cadania, who was Aura in Conda Forever. And their interaction with the couple, Dan Gallagher and Beth Gallagher, the husband and wife, the lawyer couple, the lead, and his wife, what happens inside the circle of trust, which is the casual racism that happens inside of the circle of trust, but it's not really, it doesn't look like racism because it's inside the circle of trust. Everybody is accepting of what's going on there. If you watch it from the outside, if you see it from the outside, then it's yucky. It's, it's like you hanging out with Steven or me and saying some things that are, it's funny in the moment because it's us, not racism. Mm-hmm. And not inappropriate in that moment, but if somebody from the outside sees it, it's yucky. I've had this conversation about just being in podcasting, is that something you have to be considerate of is 
Who's listening? Your audience. It's the clarity of message is that there are jokes that, yeah, like you said, we could make with one another because the intention is incredibly clear to one another. We know each other well enough to know where the line is and what is meant by what is being said. I've had the circle of Uh, trust conversation with women where I'm like, where where I've said things in front of people that I would say in front of a woman that I'm very close with that's completely inappropriate to say under that context. It's just something you have to learn. But we're seeing this as observers and we're like, and it's just part of the whole. That's something that's happening in modern day with social media, with the, you know, remote based relationships that we have is people are starting to misunderstand like where that line is as far as comfort level and what you should be able to say in mixed company versus close. (laughs) There's some things that. You need to change your clarity a little bit depending on your audience. Yeah, every you know, conversation that, is not for everybody. Exactly. That's why you should. There's some places you can't say "fuck it" work, and that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, my job's pretty okay with it. But, <laughs> but for my leads, for my affluent white couple, we have Jake Gyllenhaal as Dan Gallagher. Nice. And as okay. Beth Gallagher, we have Brie Larson, and as Alex. We have Lupita Nyong'o, which brings in like just a whole bunch of, of not in your face, but like implicit racism because Lupita Nyong'o is the one who Jake Gyllenhaal cheats with. I also wanted to change the dynamic of that a little bit where Jake Gyllenhaal is not just an innocent dummy. He's actually, he's trying to pursue a thing. He's trying to see how long... He can make this go, not realizing that this person's crazy. And then it's too late. It's not two days and he's like, oh, this bitch is crazy. It's like a couple weeks maybe where he's trying to like, oh, I can make this. I can make, I can juggle this. I can make this work. Oh no, she's Mm. crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And in the scene, like it's going to have a lot of the same beats. So when the scene, they're going to sell their, oh, we're going to try ourselves to sell our house. And when Alex comes to the house and Beth meets Alex and after Alex leaves and she sees that, that Dan, Jake Gyllenhaal, is very uncomfortable, she's, she thinks it's because it's a pretty black girl. She's like, I know what you did in college. I know you were into that in college or whatever. And when she's talking about mm-hmm. what he was into in college, she does this like this mock black woman accent at him. No. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's, <laughs> inside their home is part of the circle of trust. Sure, but sure, But stuff sure. that people don't see. And you don't really see in movies like that either. But I want to expose that kind of thing, not as not as a pointed part of the movie, just as an uncomfortable background element that goes through the entire movie. And then most of the story beats are going to be the same beyond that. One thing that I will change is that her parents will be a little bit more involved as affluent whites. And when they find out that Dan has been cheating with this black, this African black woman the level that they're unpleased and the way that they express that is going to be a Ooh, thing. Yeah. Oof. A fog, like a fart in a room, <laughs> just hover it in there. So, so because her parents are more intrinsic to the plot there, I've casted them for Beth's mother. I have Michelle Pfeiffer and for Beth's father, I have John Corbett. And if you don't know who John Corbett is, he was Aiden from sex in the city Chris from Northern Exposure, which is how I knew him, and then Ian from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And uh, he's just a tall, handsome white guy. Even it's in the 60s, he's a tall, handsome white guy. 
Michelle Pfeiffer is still beautiful and older. And I, I wanted to like you to see the affluence just as like looking at these people. Oh, affluent whites. So, yeah, I love trying to differentiate between being a white myself, <laughs> understanding that I do differentiate myself between that and affluent white, which has a Y at the beginning. The <laughs> white. Yeah. White. Yeah. That It's a slight different inflection there. That does mean a lot. It does yeah. quite a bit. And that is, and in, yeah, that's, that's it. In the circumstance. Yeah. In the circumstance, I think it's just the idea of who grew up at a level of maybe income or status that they, by need or maybe desire hung out with non-whites. <laughs> like actually have experience interacting with people that didn't look exactly like them or have the same experiences as them. And so don't have that like absence of experience that creates awkward social situations on occasion, just out of complete lack of depth of knowledge of how to act around people, which is literally just like yourself, but don't try to cater to, and then you become more awkward. That's yeah. like the white affluence things like in get out that I voted for Obama three times. <laughs> why was that relevant to this conversation? Like, why is that something you just blurred out? Brother I, I, man. Yeah. That if you want to see a perfect example of this, look at early television interviews with Quentin Tarantino. When there's a, a, a black cast member with him during the interview, he starts talking. He starts to code. Switch. Like he, yeah, he code switches. My man, then I'm all like, he totally changes his inflections and it's jarring. Like, it's so bad. I'm really glad that he got out of the habit yeah. of it. It's really bad. Yeah. It's so, yeah. I love those moments that speak to that. That's great. I mean, and the, uh, the only other thing I want to put in here for that pitch is that I want it to be old school sexy. And I want Jake Gyllenhaal to grab two big panfuls of Lupita Nyong'o's sweet, juicy can and focus on that as like an objectification of that sweet, juicy can. Much different than what his wife, Brie Larson, has going on. And yeah, just as part of the uh, the underlying discomfort, he's objectifying this big black ass as part of his thing. But I want nice. very little of it to be spoken out loud. I just want it to be like felt throughout the piece. Well, I think that's going to really translate better anyway than trying to work in dialogue to explain that. No, I think showing it is going to work a lot more effectively for sure. And that's the pitch. So, sweet. I'm into it. It's taking aspects. It's almost like an homage to the classy, sexy thriller, the classic sexy thriller without trying to remake modern take with a nice deft handoff from the classic. So great. Into it. I am not doing that. I am. <laughs> being way more overt in the way that I'm approaching not just race, but also otherness, I guess, in this conversation with fatal attraction being the starting point. I was interested to explore something that w was troubling for me with fatal attraction is rooting for anyone. Yeah. The only innocent here is the wife. Like she, she didn't do anything. She didn't deserve this. She, for everything we've seen in the film, is a devoted and loving wife that appreciates her husband and doesn't try to start fights, isn't a banshee or terrible, or hasn't driven him into the arms of another woman. He's just 
a scumbag that took advantage of an opportunity. And, and of course, Alex, the character Alex, is a psychopath. So I <laughs> wanted to... She's so try scary. To, like, change the direction on who we're actually rooting for. Have one of the main characters as somebody that we root for. But to do that, I had to really just determine what would give us that reason to root for a person. And I think it would be th this idea of otherness that is discussed a little bit in Fatal Attraction. This is a, a single woman that is willing to sleep with a married man. And so therefore she's treated as disposable by the married man. Mm -hmm. And she calls him out and she did make assumptions that weren't there for sure. But what I wanted to do is flip it on its head. Actually, this was inspired by news about, what is it? Matt Slap, the conservative icon that there's reports and text messages that back it up that he apparently groped a man in a car a couple years ago and was called out for well, it. And it's like hard. Yeah. And this is a story told time and time again. So I thought maybe inspired by that, switching the lens that actually uh, Dan Gallagher is a conservative politician opposed to a lawyer. And his friend, Jimmy, played by Stuart Kin, is actually just his lawyer that works on the campaign and stuff with him. And Dan is a closeted gay man. He has a wife. I didn't want to put a kid in, in a dangerous position in this situation. So, and also gay man with a beard, they got a greyhound. So yeah. that's crazy. The was the this. random person picking your kid up from school scene by the by. Yeah. That talk about a fucking power move, power move. It was like, your kid is completely safe. Had a great time. Took her on a roller coaster. She kissed me on the cheek like this. Whoa. But also, that's a scene that would never work in modern movies because you couldn't get into the school to get somebody's kid just randomly. Hell, that's one thing that immediately flipped in my brain when that scene came up is that how did she just come and grab a kid? Oh, it's the 80s. That's, yeah, they weren't checking IDs and shit at that and point. the kid was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, the kid, kid being like, come with me. Sure, great. <laughs> and the 80s parents just wanted to get rid of their kids. Like, take her, great. More time to drink for us. Yeah, right. So Dan is a closeted conservative politician. His wife, Beth, is, it's not openly discussed between them, but it, she's pretty aware mm -hmm. of his proclivities. She just chooses to ignore them. She appreciates the lifestyle that she's been given, is completely content to have her own trysts outside of the marriage and let him have his. And it's just an unspoken kind of, thing that they have between the two of them that the core thing is to make sure that they're not caught they are seen as the core family value type family hillary and bill action there yeah a little bit kind of a little bit of that energy and then we have let's see the ellen yeah the daughter that's a greyhound that's just a dog <laughs> so instead of picking up the dog from school it'll be from the kennel they kept it at while they were out of town like doing politician stuff and then took the dog to the dog park, <laughs> like doing doggy fun things. Frolic. Uh, who frolics with frolic a side piece in public? Oh. Yeah, that's who. That's rough. So this story is less so about the cheating aspect and more about the, the realization that Dan and Alex. I don't even have to change the name for the man that he has a tryst with. Mm -hmm. Doesn't realize that Dan is a conservative politician when they have this experience mm -hmm. and it's shortly after this experience when dan's in town in dc 
has this tryst with this dude. He lives nearby, maybe like Baltimore or something relatively close, but not in D.C. And then he sees Dan's face on the TV as he's elected, like he's been elected or, or his position. That's where Alex decides to have some fun with this man that he had real feelings for and is against gay marriage, calls it an abomination, gays are grooming, that whole fucking party line shit. And it's infuriating, but he also like still has feelings for him, so it's this confliction. So he's threatening to out him to tell the press and all the stuff, and he has pictures of them together on his phone and all this stuff. And so Dan is a mess. This can ruin everything, can ruin his political career, ruin this very intentionally curated marriage that he has. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me name these people. This is directed by John Cameron Mitchell, who who is best known for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Also, the movie How to Talk to Girls at Parties, which if you haven't seen, is based on a Neil Gaiman short story, and it's a sci-fi weird piece. Directed an episode of Glow and a bunch of other nice. TV shows as well. Great director. I really wanted a, a, a queer director to speak to like the experience mm-hmm. of this closeting and like this whole story really and dan gallagher is going to be played by matt bomer if you are unfamiliar he was the super spy in the chuck tv series yes back in the day he was also in magic mike one and two he was in the magnificent seven nice guys boys in the band hold which on was, i uh, thought that chuck was uh shazam chuck is shazam but his college roommate that was the super spy ah. that is who he gets mistaken for he he shows up and then gives Chuck the thing or whatever. That's Matt Bomber. Gotcha. He's the smooth spy the guy. Actual that, super spy. Yeah, the actual spy, yeah. Then we've got Alex. I wanted to really punch the otherness of this story by not just having like a queer actor visibly not code switching very clearly gay, but also I wanted a Latino actor as well so i went with wilson cruz and if you're unfamiliar he's in uh star trek discovery as yes. one of the doctors he was in party monster as angel and he was ricky in my so-called life <laughs> way back in the day as well great actor i think would nail this role as just like a kind of vindictive scorned lover that is trying to get back at this conservative politician that he had a tryst with yeah, him being latino works for that whole kind of thing too and just the whole party line in general would be also just another condemning factor. Yeah. And I want a line like that is it's bad enough that you slept with a man, but he had to be, <laughs> he had to be Mexican. No, he's Puerto Rican, whatever. <laughs> this dismissive kind of energy from Beth Gallagher, the wife who's played by Amanda Seyfried. Nice. She I was actually on my could... short list for a wife. Yeah. I think she can play like waspy, mean, affluent white woman very well. And I just great actress. I think she would have a lot of fun in that role. Jimmy is the lawyer friend that he goes to that has some experience in like family law stuff. And he's like, hey, how does this work out? There's no baby. No, nobody's pregnant in this version. Uh, it's more about some information about his governmental dealings that he let slip during the tryst that he had and how liable he would be if that came out, if that was protected in any way. And so he's going to his friend who's played by Jared Carmichael who I was not very familiar with until the Golden Globes this last Sunday, where he hosted and was brilliant, wonderful, and said super fucking edgy shit that like pissed off a lot of people and I have a lot of respect for that. And I would, I was like, you know what? You get in my movie because yeah. you were fantastic. And he came out um, last year, so I'm sure that he would be all about something, a project yep. like this. Absolutely. And 
he's very funny as well. And I want this. And in that same conversation of otherness is that there's this conservative uh, politician that's relying on what he considers a friend is really employee mm -hmm. uh, that this black lawyer that is one of the very few people that knows that he's gay because Jared Carmichael, Jimmy is also gay and is openly. So mm -hmm. like, it's fine, but it's also like they work together. It's like when it, that's the comfortable in the room conversation that this conservative dude feels like he can be more gay in the room with Jimmy than he could be normally because that's the one connecting factor they have with one another, but he's also still racist. So it's like they, they never really get to a point of actually being friends. Cause Jimmy is like, no, I know you're a racist. We're not friends. It's just, I'm not going to out you because I know how fucked up that is. I'm not going to do that. So you're safe. But then there's the boss, Arthur from the original was played by Fred Gwynn. And I wanted Kyle McLaughlin to play the boss. He actually was in a movie based on Tiger King, <laughs> Joe versus Carol. He played Howard Baskin in that. And John Cameron Mitchell played Joe Exotic in that movie. So they have a connecting there. But the twist, the main twist of this is that at the end or the midway point where in the original, he tells his wife that he had an affair that she's pregnant, that she's stalking him, and it's this whole ordeal. That's the turn where now Dan isn't the aggressor in trying to get Alex to fuck off. It's the wife. Mm -hmm. The wife takes this role of, that's the surprise in the story. The twist is that she's known all along he's gay. She doesn't give a shit. Don't take away my quality yeah, of life. Don't ruin life. this for yeah. me. Yeah. And then, so she gets way darker and way more fucked up about trying to get this stranger to leave her family alone. And that's where the, it almost like a tag team in a wrestling ring, like your turn. And she goes after him. Yeah. That's beautiful. And actually I think in a practical marriage of a power couple marriage, I think that's how it works. Like the, the face yeah. doesn't do the public assaults. It's the other shrewd person who actually goes out and takes care of business. Yep. So at the end of it, this is a love affair gone wrong a conservative politician that is trying to cover their tracks um, as a hypocrite that is what they pretend to stand against and a trophy wife, beard wife that is willing to kill to keep her comfort. So I'm, I'm loving this. Of, I'm actually, I'm loving this. How does it shake out? It shakes out basically that the final scene in the original movie where she sneaks into the house mm -hmm. to, to kill them and stuff. It's, um, it's actually that oh, the vital proof of their tryst that was on his phone was stolen by the wife and brought back to their house. So Alex isn't going in for revenge, is going in to get their phone that they have the locate feature on. Mm -hmm. And that's how they find out that it was taken to get their phone. So they have proof to try to blow it all out of the water. That's the way that I'm safe is to actually tell people about this. Mm -hmm. So then if anything happens to me, they know who to look at. And so then it's the fight to the death in the house. And I don't want this to necessarily be like, I think as unfortunate as it is, because we are rooting for Alex at this point, I'm making Alex the person that you kind of want to succeed. Mm -hmm. I want the reality of the situation to be, that's not how it works. And that like during the struggle, Alex is killed in their house and they try to play it off as a burglar. Like somebody Some that came Puerto into the Rican house. Guy. 
Yeah, exactly. And then you th- throw that otherness around as a final fuck you at the end of it is that like, even after all this shit, you can still just throw out, ah, it's just some Puerto Rican. And then the police will be like, yep, that we've heard of that before and yep. dismiss it as exactly that. Don't look into it that much. Um, but I would love to have something at the end where the phone gets into the right hands. So even though Alex dies at the end, the information that outs Dan and his wife for being pieces of shit gets recovered and actually gets out or it's alluded to like the end of the uh, Watchmen movie a similar kind of vibe to it yeah for sure I'm really Um, into that pitch I like that I'm actually really surprised there aren't that many there there just aren't that many stories about conservative politicians that are closeted trying to protect their image there's just not a lot of that out there and it's such a Every like six months or every year, we have another story of that happening. So Yeah, I think mostly it's just a tacit agreement because these male sex workers make a lot of money off of these guys. And if you're a professional, you keep your secrets. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but in the circumstance, I thought about the sex worker Ed uh, vibe as well for this, but I wanted it to be genuine, mm-hmm. not he fucked me so good. I love him now. Can I th- like, <laughs> I'll give up like in, we just saw true romance recently where Christian Slater fucks her so good that she's only three days into being a call girl. And she decides I quit. Let's get married. <laughs> Didn't want to give the conservative uh, politician that kind of energy at all. But yeah, so that's my version of fatal attraction is that the fatality was actually to the person that made the mistake of hooking up with a conservative which is how that works. That's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also moral of the story is like, be with somebody that considers you their equal, not somebody that looks down upon your station. Or is just fetishizing you. Uh, yeah. Or with somebody who has not worked through their own issues. Ugh. Ugh, I guess if that yeah. was the thing, we'd never, none of us would ever be with anybody. Or for clarification, or is working through <laughs> their own issues. Like it's a constant yeah. continual process but yeah you got to put the work in though so great yeah i think these are both really actually possible versions of this mine is almost not fatal attraction anymore but it's still hitting those main beats it's kind of like the dawn of the dead remake yeah the only thing that the only thing there is the mall well, for the fun pitches inspired by is what we're going for just generally sure. yeah yeah Let's. If we got just a little bit left, we're talking about our trailers that we got to do now. So, yeah, I actually wrote out my trailer this time. So, and I did not. So, we'll see how. Oh, nice, nice little (laughs) flip here. Okay, let me get us queued up here. We decided we're going to use the same track for both of ours because it's perfect, like sexy thriller back back track here. So, here we go, Tandy, with your version of Fatal Attraction. Happy wife, happy life. But he's gotta have it. Lawyer Dan Gallagher, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, has everything. Except that sweet, sweet can he craves. So he meets Alex Force, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and ruins his own life. Join Brie Larson as his wife, Beth Gallagher, Michael Pena as his buddy, Jimmy, and as Beth's mother and father, Michelle Pfeiffer and John Corbett, as they try to navigate a crushing affair. He gave it all up for the nookie. That's sweet nookie. And it will destroy him unless it destroys her first. It's Michael Moen's Fatal Attraction. 
she will not be ignored. Woo! Uh, excellent. <laughs> All right, let's see how much I can screw up mine here. So I'm using the same backing track. I tried to use some punning in here, so I apologize in, ahead of time for uh, how stupid it is. Make so it here we go. fun! <laughs> Woo! Well, this is definitely a more, more fun version. With John Cameron Mitchell at the helm, you can't help but have it a little bit more uh, ridiculous and big and a little silly. So here we go. Man lives by the rule of law and his own morality. This March, Dan Gallagher wrestles with both as he tastes forbidden fruit. Little did he know, this fruit bites back. With his political career on the line, Dan will do anything to stop this fatal attraction. Starring Matt Palmer, Wilson Cruz, and Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> so so was the, uh, the double entendre intentional or... <laughs> yeah, the, this fruit bites back definitely was part of it, and I was like sitting there being like, "Ah, it's a lot." No, I it's the self ownership. It's like I'm allowed to say it. Like, and so it's awesome. Cool. So yeah, this is this is a really fun take on Fatal Attraction. I appreciate all the listeners for sticking around for it. Two episodes in a row. Who knew we'd be it's capable? It is of a doing possible thing. thing. Yes. Yes. And we'll be trying to make it a three-peat here next week with another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. Tondi, thank you so much again for joining me on this fucking escapade here. Well, thank we you, sir. Uh, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all the things you do for podcasts. Uh, check us out at gypodcast.com for links to our social media and other shows on the network. You can hear coming, I believe, last week as of when this drops, the final regular release of Geeks Under the Influence will have dropped. And yeah, that's going to be a tearjerker for sure. And a lot of drunken revelry as well. So yeah, yeah. Worth, uh, but you know what? Bigger and better things. Bigger and better things to come. Lot. And everybody's still here. We're all still playing. So also playing. And there will be occasional releases on the main feed still. That's not, we're, you know, every so often meet up and have our ha ha's and, and do a little like free play or something or a special event kind of thing. So definitely keep subscribed to that mainstream as well. But yeah, also check out T public for the new smack my pitch up design or newish smack my pitch up design, the lethal weapon inspired yeah. design with Tandy we and I on it. Great. That's a fun design. I'm really happy how that turned yeah, it's out. It's pretty inspired. So, so, so inspiring that you almost didn't get into an amusement park with it. <laughs> yeah. It's Danny Glover. Don't you recognize Danny Glover? Yeah. I wish I was a fly on the wall to hear this, the reasoning with the security that it's just a picture of a gun on a shirt. It doesn't mean that you're like aggressing. I had to pitch the show. I had to pitch our show to the people at the amusement park. I pitched it well enough (laughs) to let me in. So pull it up on Spotify. No, (laughs) see, it's real. It's right here. Oh, that's so funny. I don't get it. So yeah, try your hand at getting into an amusement park with our shirt (laughs) and let us know how it turns out. Pitch Smacked on social medias for the most part. Hashtag us Pitch Smacked. And we'll see you next time. I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Tondi. And you just got your pitches smacked all up and stuff. It's a swing and a pitch. And it's smacked out of the park. GUIPodcast.com. <laughs>